And now it is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We really appreciate you tuning into the show today, and uh, we're glad you can be with us. we got a couple things we want to talk about. Maybe you have some comments for the show. I think we've already got a text or two. Uh, I haven't had a chance to look at them yet, but we'll take a look at those here in just a moment. Maybe I'll get Gary to talk for a minute. I can look at the text. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> but uh, thanks for tuning into the show. This is a live call-in show, and so we're going to solicit your calls and comments and, and about anything that's on your mind of a spiritual nature. Uh, we'd be glad to hear about that, and we certainly don't mind if you're not even a believer or not a uh, not a religious person. We'd like to hear what you got to say about in different topics. Everybody th- thinks about spiritual things, even if they're not a church-type person. Sometimes uh, not even so consciously. But... We, well, yeah, everybody has always had the same problems, and everybody has the same uh, things they see in life, whether they're uh, religious or not, and and so philosophy and religion are really blood brothers tied together. We like to think of them as different, but they're not. And and, it, and in today's uh, and it's always been this way, but it seems like today it's really really um, tied in. Uh, religion and politics get tied in. You know, my people tell you when I was young, you, if you want to be polite, don't talk about religion and politics. I almost know, I, I don't know much else to talk about, Gary. It seems like. Strangely enough, but uh, every time we go to a party, my wife warns me, don't talk about politics. Don't talk about politics. <laughs> well, that thing, you know, people are bringing it up to me. Uh, but anyway, we're well, going to get on that. I think it's kind of wired into us. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 are basically 310. I've seen, I've seen the God-given task which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also put eternity in their hearts. Yes, so we're, we're all wired into that. And on the other flip side, and we're going to get to the numbers here in just a second, so hang on, I'll give you the numbers so you can call us, call in, but uh, Gary and I don't plan some of this stuff out, so we talk. But uh, the other side of that is, is when we see increasingly where politicians are trying to legislate about moral issues and cultural issues that have to do with people's worldviews, they they impinge a lot on religion. Now, now that's I'm not just I'm not criticizing that per se, but we can't go around acting like that there's no overlap between the two, or that religious people are allowed to talk about quote unquote politics when the politicians are talking about religious issues. So it just doesn't work. It has to work both ways. But in other word, in other uh, in other news, let me give you the uh, call in numbers here for WPSL. If you want to reach, we are just Christians. This morning, you can reach us live at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number. You can reach us here uh, by calling that number. We'll put you at the front of the line. I think we got a call, but we'll hold on a second there. Also, a couple of other ways to reach us, which somebody's already done this morning, too. So there's going to be we're going to have to take each of these in turn. You can reach us by text message. I have a text number. My name is Mike Schmidt. Gary Jones, the other host, has a text number. You can reach us by those two numbers. They're very similar. Mine is 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120. Gary's number, 772-260-6220. Now, 
we're willing to we don't mind getting texts uh, during the week after the show, whatever it may be. You can text those numbers and we'll try to work that into the show. In fact, we had planned this morning to deal with the text we got last week toward the end of the show. Yeah, uh, well, a week before last. Yeah. And we've I couldn't do, do it last better week. in getting the text in. That, yes, you know, and we'll work on that. Uh, I forgot to announce two weeks ago that I was going to be gone to a to a high school reunion. And, and I, we was gone last week, so a recorded show. Uh, but we're going to try to get back to that subject if we can this morning, and we'll get it to a couple of these other things. So that's how you reach the show, by calling live or by texting live. You can text even not live. Then we have an email, justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. A little bit later in the show, I'm going to give you the information about, because I don't want, I don't want to talk, keep talking about this. When you get to the to the show, but um, I'll tell you how to get a hold of the show on Alexa and tune in. Your friends and relatives around the country can listen to the show too. We'll talk about that a little bit later on here. So anyway, I think we have a caller. Ken, are you there? Yes, Michael Young. How was your reunion? My reunion was really good. A bunch of old people were there. Ken's referring to the fact I went to my 50th plus one high school reunion last week in Cincinnati. Hadn't seen a lot of these people, some of them in 50 years, most, many of them in 30, 20 to 30 years, I went to those two reunions. It was interesting. Uh, most people, a lot of people didn't recognize me because uh, I, I weighed about 120 pounds in high school, and I don't weigh double that now, but I weigh a more, more than that, and I have white hair instead of blonde hair. Uh, but they recognize that piercing, sarcastic voice. Apparently, have the same kind of voice. It was good, and um, I got to see people that I probably never see again. Ken, since you asked, I know this isn't why you called. I'll just tell the others. Gary, I didn't even tell Gary this. I was struck during that whole the flight up there, my interactions with people in the airports. I'm one of those people that talk to people in airports, say hi, how are you? all this stuff, and had several interactions on the plane and and at the airport. And then at the reunion, one of the guys in my class who was popular, a good guy, even then, he's a nice guy. He came to me privately, and he said, well, Mike, you're never going to believe this, but he says, I got saved two years ago. Begin to tell me about what happened. Basically, Gary, here's another one of these older people that we have met so many of the last few years. I said, well, I hear people, I get people all the time that they're our age. I'm close to 70. And I said, that I think they realize I've wasted my life and, and I haven't got anything meaningful. And he raises his hand up. Yes, that's me. <laughs> and he, he done a lot of important things in life. Very successful person. And I, this happened two or three times during the weekend and during the, um, during the reunion. And I just think God is... Uh, works even in a generation like a bunch of old hippies that went their own way and lived their own secular lives. God never stopped working on people, and he you can bring he can bring you in at the eleventh hour, and he has a show about that. By the way, John texted it. John, at a, I had seven hundred and fifty-two that graduated the night I graduated in my high school class. And about 100, I'm going to guess, or more were there. 100 of them, 85 of them are dead, they said. So at least I'm not one of those yet. Well, Ken, uh, what's your question or comment here? 
Uh, I'm going to be real quick, Mike, to just take a little bit of your time here. Exodus 18.4. Okay. Say that again. Exodus 18.4. Okay. Yeah. In the definition of the word Eliezer. Eliezer. Oh, you know what? Yeah. I just can't remember off the top of my head. Um, hang on a minute here. I got to kill some of these sounds. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. What does it mean? Because I can't remember off the top of my head uh, what it means. Okay. Maybe it's because I'm nearly 70 years old. And <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. In the name of the other, because you're talking about sons, was Eliezer. For the God of my father said he was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Eliezer means God of my father is my help. The God of my father is my help. Is my help. Yes, so, there it is. I see I see the passage yeah. now. I finally got there. Uh, yes, L E the L part is God uh, or L and Abi, the Easter part. What's that? Abi A V I. Yeah. Father. Father. My father. And the Azar, Azar is help. So they dropped the B off that part. Uh, was my help. So now, in case people don't know who Eleazar is, uh, Eleazar it was Abraham's servant. It, well, in fact, it says he was born in Abraham's house, so he was kind of like a son in a way early before Isaac came along he's a son uh and and I think and Abraham thought that he was going to end up being his heir and um it turns out of course God had other plans and he told him so that Isaac one born of your own loins would be your heir but he had he was an old man had no children yet and so he didn't think that was going to happen he was either him or Sarah that was barren, and so they they gave up until God promised them and said, "No, you're going to get a you're going to have a That's your phone, Mike. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I can't stop these. I can't stop the text from coming in here. Uh, hang on one second. I think that's probably going out over the air. It probably is. I'm trying to figure out. It's coming in through my computer, and it's coming in through my phone. And if I kill the sound on my computer. <laughs> I'm afraid kill. it's going to kill something else. But anyway, what was your point about this? Okay. Um, Eliezer, Abraham sent him to get a son, uh, I'm sorry, a bride for his son. Right. And, and in that story, Eliezer prays for God's help. And, and um, you know, and finding a bride. finding a bride for Isaac, yes. Yeah. What so uh, Eliezer is a matchmaker, by the way. Yes, he turns out, and you know, I was thinking about this the other day, Ken. It's not what you called about, I'm sure, but you know, Abraham sends Eliezer to find a bride for Isaac. 
goes back home to his home hometown, as it were, back to Ur of the Chaldees or that Mesopotamia, and asked God to direct him. And so, sure enough, right after that, here comes Rebecca. You know, and he finds her, and he's very thankful to God for her. Takes her back home. She agrees to go back home to a man she never met, Isaac, and so forth. And uh, strangely enough. It seems to me like they had a very dysfunctional marriage. All of this, God's going to choose my mate for me and give me some kind of sign that <laughs> I'm supposed to marry this person. God's going to give me a sign. And it's what young people believe today. They've been taught this by Disney, and they pass it off as if it's a Bible idea. This is a case in the Bible where that didn't work out in some ways because Isaac and Rebecca became opposite of each other. They were so opposite. They each loved a different child, one Jacob and one Esau, and things got very messed up because of that. Maybe some heartbreak all the way around. And Rebecca was kind of a scheming person, appears. I'm, I'm being judgmental, but it seems she was a schemer. Isaac was a very passive person. Those kind of, those kind of match up with each other. So I don't know. Just a different take on it. it it's funny that God, uh, Eleazar prays that God would direct this someone to him, and uh, <laughs> it ends up being a good person, but one that your marriage is not going to be successful just because you think God gave you a sign that you should marry this person. Your marriage will be successful and happy depending on the work that you do after you're married to actually love the other person properly. That's got a lot more to do with it than there being a one and only out there somewhere for you that you just got to go find, and God will give you a sign, and once you find this person, everything's going to be perfect. Um, this is a common Christian belief today brought to you by Walt Disney, Yes, and it's completely uh, erroneous as far as how relationships actually work. But anyway, Ken, what were you? What was your point? Uh, oh, just that uh, this is kind of where the idea of the tradition, Jewish tradition of matchmaker, comes from. I, I did not understand what you said. Right, I think I it broke up a little it. bit. What? What was? What, say that again. I am so sorry. I said that this is where the tradition of matchmaker comes from. The Jewish tradition. Oh, like in um, my favorite musical, Fiddler on the Roof, Yintel. Yeah, you notice. Yeah. yeah. You notice Fiddler on the Roof is backwards from the Jewish tradition. It's backwards? There you have the bride picking the bridegroom instead of the bridegroom picking the bride. Right. Well, I believe that story is kind of about that it's about the conflict of tradition and mo modern times and yeah, i think what, it was that's I, what i got out of it. it was conflict of tradition and, and and you're saying even the original matchmaking was probably out of kilter that, yeah yeah that yes it probably was uh, but yes that, that is true but this um is it her name yentl so i don't know who it is but anyway that does the that does the matchmaking. Now, 
you want to make a point about this, I think. I got feeling because of well, calling previously. Sorry. What were you going to say about this? Who's the matchmaker in the Bible? This is coming up in your lesson, I think, pretty soon. I mentioned Eliezer. And it's funny that his name is not mentioned in the story where he goes to get the bride for Isaac. It's just a, a trusted servant. But his name is mentioned in where you are now. Okay. It, well, of course, the story here in... in um, well, that's Genesis 15, I think. Yeah. You, the, 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 the others mentioned, the other, the, where we are, I, I'm, what Ken is referring to is in our Sunday morning Bible class. Uh, which Ken attends, we have, um, we're studying the book of Genesis. Some would say we're studying the book of Genesis in real time. But uh, <laughs> in any event, we're, we're in the 15th chapter there, 14th, 15th chapter, where um, Abraham is, God makes this promise to Abraham that he's going to give him a son, uh, even though he's childless and so forth. And, um, Yeah, Genesis 15, 2. But yeah. Abraham said, Lord God, will, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And here's another Eleazar, if I'm saying that right. Then, then well, Abraham said... have to be said, another one. They're about 400 years apart. Right, but that's right. They're a long time apart, but the name is the same. And he, um, he says, look, you've given me no offspring, for one indeed born in my house is my heir, and that's Eleazar of Damascus. And it means God is help. Uh, God is my help, or God is help in the most basic form. And so then you see this, this Eleazar, it turns out, is the one who goes and gets this bride for Abraham's son later on in the story. He's apparently a very trusted, faithful, and close servant of Abraham. Um, so in any event, this is the one who people would have thought was the heir, but who wasn't the heir. And I've often wondered about what Eleazar thought then later about Isaac being born and him getting. Here's this very, very, very wealthy man, Abraham, and a powerful man. And it looks like he's going to be the heir and get all that stuff and have that same power. And it turns then a baby's born. <laughs> knocks him off the perch and yet we find him still serving abraham you know still there so i've wondered about this man he must have been a good man and that's probably why abraham trusted him and made him his right hand man because he was a good person did you have any more you want to add about that uh, what's your take on this bridegroom and bride thing that, that you've mentioned uh Said you had a, it was backwards in the one story. In this case, uh, we're, we're coming. We're, what you're talking about tomorrow, or I mean today, or next Sunday, is the covenant with Abraham. Right, just Genesis 15. Okay. Yes. And all of these, all of these covenants, in my opinion, and and I can show evidence for that. Some at least some, are marriage covenants. And, and well, they certainly fit the typology of a marriage covenant. That's correct. Yeah. 
and they and they allude to you know Jewish marriage tradition. The um, uh, by the way, the, the name matchmaker in Hebrew means negotiate. To negotiate, yeah. yeah. Well, now in this, uh, there's a parallel, perhaps, that in this marriage thing or in this relationship, uh, when you say all these covenants are marriage, I, I would say they more are the same symbolic type or analogy of a marriage, and they all go together because marriage is a covenant. Among many other things, marriage is also a covenant. But you find this in the same type of thing in the book of Galatians where Paul says that before faith came, before Jesus Christ came, as in Galatians 3.23, we were kept under the law, shut up, under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. So we were hedged in by the law of Moses, he says, as Jews. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after the faith has come, we are no longer under schoolmaster for all children of God by faith. So this schoolmaster, and I don't know what the parallel word is in, I think it's tutor in some versions, some it's newer versions. T- tutor in the New King Yeah, it's tutor in some of the new versions is kind of the intermediary and the what this is a probably a parallel to Eleazar in bringing the groom the bride to the groom and in some cases maybe the groom to the bride uh, as far as function so the schoolmaster was the servant of the household who was entrusted to take the children from home to the teacher and along the way, the tu- this so-called tutor schoolmaster was not the teacher. He was the one taking them to the teacher. But he would go over the lessons of the day with the kids, with the children. He would go over what they were going to look at, what they were supposed to know before they got to the teacher. And so Paul says that the law of Moses was that teacher or, excuse me, schoolmaster to lead us to the true teacher, who is Jesus Christ. And so in the case of the, the, the uh, matchmaker, the matchmaker was the negotiator, as it were, who would come and uh, negotiate a, uh, an arrangement whereby a young lady would come and be the bride of a certain man, and they would pay a dowry and what that was going to be and what else was going to be involved in that, which was not done because the woman was considered property. It was done as a protection for the woman. The father who had a young, a young bride, a young woman who, uh, who cared. They, fathers then were no different than fathers today. They cared about their daughters within, within the social structure of the time. And so they were trying to assure that this young lady would be taken care of and not just discarded by demanding a dowry, by, de- by, by demanding a payment so that the young man and the, and the family of the young man had an investment in this marriage. They had some skin in the game, as we would say today. And, you know, not that any of you do any gambling, but that's a phrase I've heard, heard about. But anyway, that it would be a place, that the dowry was the assurance that you're going to take care of this young lady, just like a diamond ring and all that kind of thing in our culture signifies, I'm serious about this, this arrangement. I'm serious about this promise to marry you. 
and so forth. Now, people discard that all the time, but that's what that's what this was about. And so this negotiator, as Ken calls it, would negotiate all of this on behalf of the bri- the, the groom's family and so forth. So who is the negotiator, as it were? Who's the who's the uh, matchmaker in this marriage of Christ and the lamb, Ken? Uh, I think we need a lot more time to talk about that. But need more, yeah, we probably should move on, but you, I think you were going there. I'm, guess, I'm guessing you were going that direction. Yeah, but uh, I, think, uh, I think we need more time for that, and we've got other things to talk about today. Well, throw, throw out a couple of, uh, throw out a couple of uh, guesses, and we'll okay. come back to it. Maybe you can call in next week. About in, the, yeah. in, the marriage, in Jewish marriage customs, it's called the bride fight. The bride what? What price? The, oh, the bride price. price. Okay, yes, yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. And so the the uh, the groom pays a price for the bride, right? Yeah. Now we can easily see the comparison of Christ and the church, can't we? That a price yeah, was paid. Actually, you see this in the New Testament, the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah, that is weird, isn't it? Yes, you can see it from the New very clearly what the bride price was. And I've been thinking about this more and more, maybe based on something and studying this business of Eleazar and thinking about that. Maybe uh, you had said this before that, that I, I need to do some lessons and you even gave me some material on this, some lessons on Jewish wedding customs, as it were in relation to the church, because I do think that it's a completely ignored and misunderstood subject among Christians. That is probably a very important parallel in everything that we do. But um, in any event, we'll talk about this another time. I appreciate you calling in, Ken, very much, and we'll and we'll uh, we'll talk about this another time. All right, let's go to Jerry. Are you on the phone, Jerry? You still there? Good morning, Gary. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I was wondering, uh, most English students at some point, whether on college or high school, they have to read the book *The Crucible*. Uh-huh. And I was wondering, uh, you know, the, the Trump exorcism, uh, does it reek of Catholicism? Is it steeped in Catholicism? And is this the only uh, person that can perform an exorcism, you know, a Catholic priest? And I would like to listen off L. Mike, if that's okay. That would be fine, uh, Jerry. Thank you for the call. Wow, that's another huge subject. But yeah. I will tell you, I have to raise my hand. Yes, I had to read The Crucible in high school. Um, and I guess if our memory is correct, it's kind of about the Salem witch trials, something along that line anyway. Um, exorcism and demons are talk. I mean, I've been reading articles this week in some Christian publications talking about the fact that, you know, critical race theory is demonic and the demon. And another one said that if you, uh, I was something else to do with Hollywood, it was the demons were working. And I, I'm sorry, I don't believe in what they're saying in the way that they say it. Is the devil at work in the world that we live in? Yes. Does he work in the way of directly possessing young people or people today? No, he doesn't. Not according to the Bible. And so, um, Yes, exorcism is connected to the Catholic Church down through time because the Catholic Church has claimed that 
that demon possession has been still going on since the first century. They believe that the demon possession occurs in modern times, and they have certain priests who are are taught to deal with exorcism, although they kind of try to keep this in the background. I read about cases recently, and it's particularly common in Catholic settings around the globe in Africa and Philippines, places like that, more so than the United States, but it occurs here. But the real question is, what does the Bible say about it? Now, the, the, in, a, in a generic form, since we have some other things we probably should get to, but in a generic way, Jerry, can I say generic and Jerry? I mean, <laughs> you, get, you get an old man confused. But in a generic way, it seems from the Bible perspective on things, demon possession did not appear in the Old Testament. If it did, very, very veiled references to the idea. But it was more that this is coming, you know. And then when you get to the New Testament times, just before Christ appears on the scene, you begin to see in history and in the in the biblical accounts, uh, accounts of demon possession. And then after Christ appears on the after Christ goes back to heaven, and the apostles deal with demon possession and exorcism. And then after that, it fades away. And it appears to me, uh, see if I can state this properly. God was, God was going to, he, he's always been, can I say that, more than fair with the devil. He could have destroyed the devil immediately after the devil rebelled, even before he created man, but he didn't. He could have destroyed the devil and, and completely limited him and made him useless at the Garden of Eden, but he didn't. He still let Satan have some power and influence in the world over men. And he made him the prince of this world. So he has power in this world up to some limited degree. And so he made it even. Uh, let me finish this, Gary. I know you've you got some things yeah. to say about this. But, but he, he made it even. And then when he was going to bring his son into the world, and his son was going to perform all these miracles and be resurrected from the dead, I think for that period of time, and during the time of the apostles, when they were performing miracles to verify the word, he let Satan have more leeway in the world. And Satan was able to possess people against their will. Now, there's a difference between someone being influenced by the devil and doing bad things, even terribly wicked things, and someone being forced against their will by the devil to do wicked things and to kill people or whatever they're going to do. There's a big difference in those two things that people get uh, people don't make that distinction like they should. And then once, once, once Jesus said that the gifts would cease, miracles would cease, and they did after the death of the apostles, they faded out. We don't have those same kind of miracles today. Even though God still works in the world, the devil still works in the world, and God still works in the world, but not in the same way he did during the time of Jesus and the apostles. Now, that's, how I, that's the, biblical, the big biblical scope of this issue. And we can discuss the biblical cases of exorcism if you'd like. But Gary wants to say something. Well, I wanted to go back to Zechariah for just a minute. That's um, a prophecy about this. Yeah, that's a prophecy about them. Um, Zechariah 13 says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and uncleanness. Now, if you, if you go back and study this, obviously this is a reference, I think, to the gospel. 
Uh, it shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. I shall also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. Uh, so he prophesies about that, in that, and I'm assuming the unclean spirit here is roughly the demon. That yeah, that's what they're called in the New Testament, unclean yeah. spirits. That's right. And so, basically, I think there's a prophecy related to them, and he says... At the time that he does this, he's going to remove these things. So, you know, casting out these things, if they're not there, at least to me, becomes a, a non-question, if you will. Because you, you don't cast out or, how, how is it said, the Catholic Church, basically, you can't cast out something that's not there. Yeah. Uh, so when you go back and look at what the church is doing, uh, it... it it implies to me that they, they don't even recognize what the scripture says about these miracles and these entities that uh, God says are not going to be there after he introduces this remedy for sin, which I think is Christ in the gospel. Yes. Uh, that's that's what the, what I'm looking at in Zechariah 13. And it's, that's Zechariah 13, verses about 1 through 3 or 4. Right, it's prophecy... About it's what's going to happen during the time of the Messiah, right. and it, it isn't a one-day event that's going to happen on any one particular day, but this is what's going to happen. That very well compares with the Corinthian, with letter. The Corinthian letter about these things going away and fading out and so forth. Uh, and I, I would just try to make it a plain analogy, like I said, that God was letting Satan have his power. In fact, Jesus said to the demons— this, this is all, you're only able to do this so I can show my power over you. They were allowed to have their power over people so that Jesus could show that he could have more power. And uh, Paul and the apostles the same way. That funny story um, in uh, the book of Acts, um, I cannot think of the chapter right this morning. I had about three hours sleep last night, people, so you got to give me a little well, while, break. while you're looking for that. It's Acts 19. Point out, basically in John, uh, Jesus healed a blind man. Uh, he made a mud kind of thing and smeared it on his eyes, told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And and the disciples asked him, uh, who sinned, this man or, or his parents, that he was born blind. And, and Jesus told them, well, neither of them sinned. This man was born blind to display the power of God. So Jesus could heal him. So Jesus could heal right. him. Now, uh, now, you know, and, and you know, is blindness uh, an influence of the devil in the world? Yeah, probably. It isn't miraculous. These are the kind of things that Satan, through his evil, directly and indirectly, brings into the world. But see, God is able to turn that into something very great. I read a story. I know we're getting far afield. I got accused yesterday of chasing rabbits, so I've got to watch myself <laughs> here because I'm looking at this verse that I wanted to go to in Acts 19. We'll come back to that. Uh, I read a story about a model in 2010, beautiful young model, was going to a photo shoot, got off the little double-engine aircraft or single-engine aircraft I, she was on, and stepped into the propeller. It, she lost her left eye and her arm, part of her hand, and, of course, that's pretty traumatic for a young model and, to, and almost died. 
And a couple of years later, she's talking about this and say, talking about some of the difficulties that she had at that time, wondering what was going to happen to her. And then she realized that at that time, she realized, well, I, I've gained more faith than I ever had before, more I'll, – I'll put words in them out – more spiritual depth, more character than I ever knew was possible for me to have. And then later she becomes a mother. She apparently marries, and she's got a new baby now. And they were. She was concerned that would she be able to hold the baby and take care of the baby and all that. And, and apparently, then being a mother and having gone through all this has been the richest experience of her life, far richer than being a a world famous and beautiful model. And we th- and yet young girls aspire that oh, if I could only be so beautiful as to be a model. This young woman is showing you that there's a a lot better things in life than that. And what caused that in this person, what brought that about in her was a tragedy, a terrible thing. At the time, you think, how can this be? It's so horrible. But God is able to do wonderful things like that if we will just sort of cooperate with him. And I think demon possession was like that. I think that these, these people were possessed by demons. And this possession was not just them being a bad person. This, per, this was against their will, and it was horrible. We might even we might call it extreme forms of epilepsy and all kind of other things. People try to give it medical names. It does not give it a medical name in the Bible. So that a demon is possessing them. Now here's a case in in the book of Acts. I think we'll read this real quick, then we'll move on. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits sent out of them. So if these aprons or, um, you know, napkins, handkerchiefs, if they touched Paul or he had them and they took them and put them on the sick person, it drove out evil spirits, which would be this possession and the diseases that they had left them. And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, see, there were these exorcists running around that time. They were trying to make money off these sick people. They were charlatans. Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. They thought, well, maybe this will work. We'll just use Jesus' name over these evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the, the Jesus whom Paul preaches. So they were going around saying, we're using the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. Now listen to this. Now there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did this. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? There it is. <laughs> Even the evil spirits have a sense of humor. Then right. the man whom the evil spirit was, was leaped on them and overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they all fled out of the house naked and wounded. Well, so the, the, he drives them all out of the house, strips their clothes off, and chases them away. Well, it, it also points to me <laughs> it, their hypocrisy. Stop and think for a minute, Mike. They weren't even willing to call directly on the name of Jesus themselves. They put it off on someone else. They didn't. They didn't want, believe. They didn't believe. They didn't believe. They were just going to use this magical name, and they were going to. They thought they would make a little money on this, or gain some kind of influence. So. Yes, the evil spirits at that time were directly involved in damaging people's lives and controlling them. Paul said, and Zachariah said, and Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, these, were, these things were going to disappear. 
and the people, the power to cast out these demons disappeared. So, no, I do not believe the Catholic priests today have the power to cast out actual demons. Now, on the other side of the coin, don't misunderstand this. I believe that the devil has power in this world, and it may be greater than I think it is. Uh, I'm I'm cautious to speak um, super confidently about God and what he will do, and, and the same thing with the devil. I'm cautious to use the devil's name in vain, too. But uh, he may have more power. And perhaps, it, sometimes, Gary, I think it's like this. Uh, the devil has been put on a leash. He's been restrained by God. Picture a Picture a dog in a yard, a vicious dog on a leash, on a chain. Can that dog hurt you? Not unless you walk up to the dog and go into his territory. Or you get in, get in within his you reach, so close. within the yes, limits of the chain. Close. So is it possible for people today to get involved in the occult and other wicked uh, practices, other pagan things, and walk so close to the devil that the devil has some kind of power over them I'm not going to say no to that. I think that's possible, yes. This is why God warned even the Jews back then not to dabble in the occult and divination and astrology because these were all the gods of the pagans who most people back then believed, and maybe they're right about this, were actually the demons. See, a lot of people believe, and there's not without reason, that the false gods of the Old Testament, like Baal, or actually people worshiping what we would call today in New Testament times, demons. They they are the agents of Satan become more visible in the world or being worshipped. And when when you begin to worship them, they become more powerful, as it were. I don't know. It's a big subject. I don't believe Catholic priests have some kind of monopoly on this, and I don't believe that there's exorcism going on today, at least by the Holy Spirit as far as, at, at least like it was in New Testament times. Well, I'd just like to point out, too, that... These things happen for various reasons, or things can happen for various reasons. And the blind man that I spoke of is in John chapter 9. If you want to read about him, uh-huh. I believe um, you can go to John chapter 9, even near the beginning of the chapter. I think that starts in verse 1, where they ask him yeah, who, was, who, who, who did sin. this. And then there's a whole story about him telling them who did this and so on. It's a fabulous story about the right. people of the day, their hypocrisy. Yeah, John chapter 9 is a good but there's also another one in John 5 that, that Jesus says, and this, this one's a little different. He says in John 5, 12, uh, talked about, let's start in verse 11. I said, he answered them and said, who made me well, said to me, take up your bed and walk. They, he healed a paralytic, and he told him, take up your bed and walk. And Jesus commonly did these things on the Sabbath, which really irritated the, the scribes and the Pharisees. In verse 12, it says, and then they ask him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a, a multitude being in that place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, least a worse thing come upon you. Some of these things come from sin. Some of these things, I think, come to display the power of God. In Job, it impresses me that God accepts the, the responsibility for all that happens here. We have to bear that in mind. 
but but just because we see a bad thing like someone being born blind doesn't mean that's the end of the story. No, we like to think that's the end of the story. And there's oh, there's nothing worse than a handicap being born blind. Well, there are plenty of things worse than being handicapped or being born blind. Plenty and, and, of things. And we don't we look for the good. That. We don't look for the good no. that's done, like you, like the model you talked about. We don't see the end of the story. We don't look for the, we, the we, good. We part. don't yeah. look for the good. That's right. What happened to Job? Job in the end had more than he had at the beginning. And probably, and also had more knowledge of God at the end than he had at the beginning. Now, this also, I know we're getting, we can track off the subject, but this passage in John 9, 1 about who sinned, this man or his parents, that's a Bible verse, but that's not the God teaching something directly. God, the passage there is not saying God says that one person, either the person sinned or God sinned, or they sinned to make them be born blind. This is what the, this is what the disciples thought. Yeah. They asked the question. They were wrong in the question. Jesus corrected the question. Don't forget that, that they were wrong in their assumptions about that. So well, the, the assumption that, was at the time that all bad things came from sin. Now, look, yes. Yeah. yeah or that some direct sin. Uh, and that's simply not true. Well, you know, I'm left handed. And so that was thought to be a problem by the pagan, by the Catholic Church, that being left handed was a sign of evil. Uh, they even teach that Judas was left-handed and had red hair because, you know, being left-handed and having red hair were different. So that must be the devil. These were evil children that were left-handed. And so they tried to correct this problem. My mother was getting corrected in school, and my father saw it in his parochial schools uh, because left-handed kids were getting smacked on the hands for using their left hand in class because we had this superstition about that being devilish. Having red hair, Judas had red hair because he's a bad person. Uh, the the idea when I was born with a handicap, there must be something wrong with this baby. Somebody did somebody must have sinned, or this baby wouldn't have been born like this. Well, the Bible says that's not the case. Now, do yeah. you believe the Bible, or are you going to believe your own, you know, superstitions? Yeah, we we, we couldn't get along with the way things were done a <clears throat> hundred years ago. My grandmother was left-handed. But she wrote with her right hand because she had been forced in school to write with and, uh, her right hand. And they tried hand. to they tried to do this to my mother and and uh, didn't work as well. A lot of kids suffer suffered greatly from that because it's so ingrained that uh, it's it's just something you're born with one way or the other. Of course, left-handers, of course, are smarter, more brilliant, more creative, and so schools have been crazier. Schools huh? have been forcing things on kids for yeah. a century. But it, ca it, came, it comes from superstitions about the Bible uh, brought on by this idea that the Catholic Church has some kind of special power over the devil and has these exorcist priests like Jerry was asking the question about. So back to his question in brief. No, I don't think the Catholic Church is exorcism department or whatever you want to call it, of priests, has any kind of special power. Do I believe the devil can work in the world today? He does. He works through through people. He, the Bible says in Second Corinthians, he, he even his ministers appear as angels of light. The, the so, devil, yes, they're there. They're working, yeah. but they're people that you see. Okay, this is just not my, supernatural. This is just my opinion, but the devil works today primarily through deception. Uh, yeah. And that comes in the form of ideas and the people that promote the ideas. Exactly. He works through deception, and that's what's going and on. And you can continually deceive yourself more and more and more until you become enslaved to devilish ideas uh, and so forth. 
But I don't believe that every child born with epilepsy is suffering from a demon possession and so forth. Um, and and I, I can't no, I cannot explain every case of someone having those symptoms that you might run into. There's probably a whole lot more to those stories than are, is ever told. I can't explain those. I'm going on what the Bible says about those acts and pro, the prophecies and the statements of the Bible about those kinds of things being limited down through time now that they're limited. God works in the world. He works in through the word and through people. And in measured ways, he works, he does amazing things to heal people and so forth. But he doesn't do them the same way he did in New Testament times by using the hands of special people like apostles or prophets to do that. He doesn't do that anymore. The Bible says that very plainly. And yet he still works in the world. So, yes, pray. We pray all the time. We have a prayer list. We hand that all the time. We want people to pray. God will work. He works in ways that we don't see or understand. But he doesn't work because me and Gary can lay our hands on people and heal them because we're some kind of special prophets. Or anybody can. Or anybody else. But I'm just saying that's what people were expecting. And and uh, he doesn't work through the Catholic priest to do that very same thing, according to what the Bible says about the subject. This is called in theology, Gary, if anybody wants to look it up, cessationism, like to cease, cessationism. And uh, that the idea that I think is correct, I don't ascribe to every aspect of it, but the idea is generally known of that that this that the miraculous spiritual gifts would cease once the word became completely revealed toward the end of what we call the New Testament period. Once that word was given piece by piece, and then the whole pieces, the whole thing was together, then these gifts disappeared and that usually happened because the apostles received these gifts from the holy spirit and they were able to pass those on to other people but those other people were never given the power to pass it on to somebody else because they kept having to go back to the apostles to get the gift in the new testament time they had to go back to the apostles to get the gift the person that had the gift couldn't pass it on so when all those people were dead all the gifts ceased including the power over demons. And so God, I believe, removed the direct power of the devil. He put the devil in chains, removed the power of the devil to directly control people's lives against their will. He can control your life if you let him, but he can't control it against your will. I don't know if that's clear enough or not. I've been ranting and raving here. So, Gary, what do you, you want to say something concluding about this? <laughs> Well, I, I, I want to go back to uh, uh, the passage we talked about in, in the New Testament. I wanted to be sure that everybody knew what that reference was. And that's 1 Corinthians 13, oh, yes, beginning in about 8. And it goes through verse 13. And the other one that I wanted to make sure everybody understood the reference to was the one in Zechariah. And I forget, because Mike, I forgot which one. Chapter 13, I think you're talking chapter about. Chapter 13. It's the first few verses of chapter 13. So 1 Corinthians uh, 13, beginning verse 8, and Zechariah 13. Maybe the 13's key together. Uh, I find that happens more often than Isn't I Isn't that think. funny? Yeah, it does. Uh, but basically, those two passages are, one is the prophecy, the other one is the prediction in the, in the New Testament that it's going away. 
the question then becomes, okay, well, exactly when? And, and you mentioned the fact that it has to be passed on from the apostles. So pretty well by the end of the first century, this was, we're guaranteed that this was gone. Yes. Let me let me just look up those verses for you here. I thought I had them right in front of me. I want to give the references. I so so I, I really would like folks that are listening to look these up. Don't, don't take our word for it. Look these up. Read these on your own. Understand what the Bible says. Mike and I are not going to stand in the judgment for you. You are. Right. And exactly. So you need. we need to give you the references. We need to give you the evidence that's in Scripture for these things. One of the passages that speaks of this is in Acts chapter 8. There are many, several of them, yeah. but... This will this will suffice to get people started on this. That um, it mentions the apostles laying hands on some people there at Ephesus, I believe it is, and they received the Holy Spirit. And then, and apparently that means they received some of these miraculous gifts. And verse 18 of Acts 8 says, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Spirit was given, meaning that they would have these gifts not just the Holy Spirit in the sense of being saved and so forth. He offered them money, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither portion nor lot in this matter, and so forth. So this is a reference to that, so that that they... Um, He was trying to get this gift on his own without uh, without having a, without being without being an apostle. Okay. Now then, um, I think it's Acts 19. Um, now why can't I find that reference? <clears throat> While you're looking for that, I want to point I out. I thought I had it right in front of me. While you're looking for that, I want to point out that in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse 11, Paul kind of explains why these things are going to go away. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, I, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And he says, what will remain or what will abide will be faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. He's saying these things are going to, are going to go away when the word is completely revealed and written down. He says, when the, once the word is revealed and completely written down, you won't need these things anymore. Right. Um, this is the same reason that I keep pointing out. Why did Jesus do miracles? Why did the apostles do miracles? Why were these things made evident to people that these people were special and that they had knowledge that others didn't was because God was giving them a message and he wanted to identify those people who were giving the true message. And so once that message is written down by these people and given to them, to, and he told them to circulate the letters through the churches. They wrote Paul wrote these letters. These documents were written. They were told to circulate them circulate among them. the churches so they would know. So once that was done, now it's a system of faith. It's faith, hope, and love. 
Right. And that's what God's looking for. Right. Now, I apologize to the listeners. Uh, for some <clears throat> reason, I cannot find the other passage that I'm trying to find here and look up at, uh, at the moment where they had to call in Peter or the apostles because they could not give this gift to someone. I, I just can't find that passage. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not coming to me, and I, I want to move on here. But but this um, that's the general idea. And you see that it says that the gift of the Holy Spirit, these miraculous gifts, were given by the laying on of the apostles' hands. And it, and so once they, once they were gone, these gifts could not be given further. It doesn't say that the person who received the gift could pass that gift on to another generation. Now, that's the claim of the Catholic Church that they are the successor, that the Pope and the bishops today, cardinals, are the successors to the apostles, particularly the Pope. And so, therefore, they can exercise the same miraculous gifts that the apostles did because they are the successors to the apostles through the laying on of hands. But there's no example of that in the No, that, there's no teaching in the New Testament that indicates that at all. But that's the fundamental claim of the authority of the Catholic Church being passed on down through time and why you have to do what the Pope says and, and so forth, because they are the successors to the apostles. In fact, the Pope is the vicar of Christ and sits on Peter's throne in their view and so forth. Well, uh, our time is about gone, but uh, I, I don't even read of Peter having a throne anywhere. No, I know. And, and they say yeah. that's the that's the authority for him to to rule and to exercise that. What is it? They. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, that passage in Matthew well, What do keys do? Yeah. Keys open doors, and that's exactly what Peter did. Yes, we see that. He opened the door of the kingdom in Acts 2, and then to Cornelius in Acts 10, the Gentiles. But uh, we never did get to the subject we were going to talk about, which is this situation, this question about the accounts in Genesis 1. The question was asked, why are, does it seem like there are two separate creation accounts? In Genesis chapter one versus Genesis chapter two, we, we want we to will, answer that. We I'm, will do that next week. I, we we had it prepared to do that, but we went with the with the more the live stuff, and we appreciate the calls and texts we got today very much. In fact, we didn't even get to another text. Uh, let me find it here. I I didn't even. Um, here's a text. Uh, I had a question about John 1, 32, 33. John says the spirit descended on Jesus and abode on him like a dove. In the next verse, he mentions baptism with the Holy Ghost. Is there a difference between Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost, or are they synonymous? We never got to that one. We'll hold off on that one until next week because we got uh, just about a minute left. No, I will say briefly, spirit and ghost are the same thing. Same word in Hebrew, in Greek, pneuma or spirit or wind, breath, translated different ways. The word ghost is more of a 1600s translation of the word for spirit. Yeah. Ca has caused no end of problems because of the concept of a ghost is not like the concept of a spirit. But we'll talk more about that next week. I appreciate the text uh, very, very much, Jason. And so thank you for listening to the show today. We're grateful for that. We want to invite you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. We are just Christians.com. You'll find recordings of this radio show, plus sermons and everything else that you can search a database of lessons on the Internet at we are just Christians.com. You can also find the live stream of our services on on YouTube and Facebook. Look under Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard or Savona Boulevard Church of Christ on YouTube. 
and you can live stream our services at, at beginning at nine o'clock this morning and then also the 10 o'clock, I mean, excuse me, at 10 o'clock this morning and also the 11 o'clock service. And so we would invite you to take a look at, the, at those two places. Hope you can join us, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. And may God bless you until next week, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. WPSL. Port St. Lucie.